fine. Off we go. Yeah. Right, sorry. How's Toronto? Humid. It's very <laughs> muggy. It's, it's, well, it was a beautiful day yesterday. Great sunshine, but yeah, just very kind of muggy for the players, very sweaty. But we've got rain around. We've got storms around today. A little bit patchy the next few days. It's going to be a bit dodgy, but not as bad as when I was in Montreal last year that was one of the worst weeks of, of weather I think I've ever seen it was extraordinarily bad but you're in Montreal this week what's it like and you worried me even though we're in different places you started talking about the rain and every three hours and I started thinking I, I don't think that's going to happen in Montreal because when I looked at the dodgy weather apps that I continually use and I've got to stop using them on my phone because it's always wrong it's telling me that Montreal not as humid to start with as Toronto and apparently, allegedly, no thunderstorms today. I'm not the rest of the week. There's a couple in there, but I think today we should be fine with the Masters event in Montreal. You might, I might be getting a few messages for you during the day saying it's raining. I've got no tennis. Like yeah. last year, you said, "Is it raining with you? I've got no tennis." <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's a bit dodgy. I think it might be a bit dodgy, but it's one of those things where there are thunderstorms around. They might just go around us, might just not hit us, and then we'll be absolutely fine. We might have a nice sunny day, but they are in the area. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we'll get hit by something today. I thought it was interesting. Yesterday, we were both working until the end of the last match. And at one stage, I thought, well, maybe I will not a race, but I might finish before you because we had uh, Gail Monfils against Peter Polanski. And we thought, well, you know, should I know it's a Canadian player and they like to raise their game, but we should fight. Uh, and you still in the match before the last match. And then you had Angelique Kerber against Derek Kasakina. And Kasakina hasn't been having the best of years. So we're thinking, oh, that's going to. And then, well, we both ended up going the distance with Gail Monfils, 4 1 up in the first set he decides to win it in the third set and I remember checking what was going on in Toronto Angelique Kerber wins the first set six love but for some reason hours later you're still going yes pretty much <laughs> I mean our night session was awesome I mean the Sharapova Contavite match was so good I mean firstly I mean that was the first one and it was just under three hours and Contavite won in the end I, I mean I know Serena does it as well, but and, and Venus has done in the past. But I mean, to play so little tennis and to be able to just turn up and produce what Sharapova was doing there, like okay, the decision making went off a little bit at the tight moments right at the very very end, and she got a little bit tight on the serve at a couple of points because she's barely played. You know, she's played a handful of matches this year, but still, I mean, to be able to produce that that level is it's so so impressive I mean in the last three years she's basically played a season's worth of tennis one full season spread over three years she just has not really played very much so that was really impressive so that was so so much fun to watch but as is always the way when you're commentating when you're loving a match and you're so into it and it was so good and it was long and it was I mean it was such a great match to do we were kind of exhausted by the end of it you got about four minutes before the next guys walk out (laughs) and here comes Kerber and Kazakina and you're just about kind of shuffling around your notes and things you kind of need you want like a coffee and a a snack and and also you just want to chat about what you've just seen because it was just so great and it was great to see Sharapova playing like that because when she's competitive in tournaments you know I I think that the tour is a is a better place for it and it's it's 
yeah I, I don't know and it's just so weird and then suddenly here comes Kerber and you're talking about her and Kazak Keener and then the first set six love over in a flash I mean I basically I had only just got my head around the notes and, and all the research I'd done on them I mean of course I, I know the players pretty well it's not too tough to, to do the research but you know talking about their coaching situations because Kerber's has recently changed as she split with uh, Reiner Schuttler and uh, and Kazakina has, has uh, got a new coach as well so it was yeah and then suddenly that set was over and you're thinking oh this match is going to be over before I've been able to say anything interesting because I haven't <laughs> even got my head around it but then in the end Kazakina fought back and Kerber went way way so you're trying off to throw wall. out all your stats really really quickly at the start of like the second set thinking if I'm not careful this one's going to be over yeah but you know what it's like right you just kind of God, you know, Naomi Cavaday still talking <laughs> <laughs> but it's like you just I don't know you're just not quite feeling settled into the match just yet I think when you're doing back-to-back matches because we don't often do back-to-back matches we normally are alternating but sometimes especially I mean there were two night session matches so we don't want to keep the other guys hanging around for for that one they did the bulk of the first of the day and so we did the last ones in the day and so you you have those back-to-back matches but if you get that epic which is first it's just I don't know it's not only kind of I mean, it's great, but it's tiring, but it's also kind of distracting because as Kerber and Kazakina are warming up, I'm still kind of thinking about it. I'm still trying to debrief it and digest it in my head. And I mean, let alone you kind of want to like bash a tweet out or something. No time for that. <laughs> um, it's yeah, yeah. So it was kind of that first set felt rushed for a number of reasons because it was six love. It was 26 minutes. Kazakina just couldn't get any depth at all on the ball. And we thought, well, this is, this, as I say, this is going to be over before the you know, blink of an eye. And uh, I thought I was going to be done before you, but not the case. So no, you no. won the race. Marcus Buckland and I were, were still going with, with, Gail Monfils and it's uh, the first the first day or so at a Masters event ATP Tennis Radio it's good fun but it's madness such fun we had 13 matches on day one got 13 on day two and we're following the stories following the action so it's not necessarily so yes you can prepare for 13 matches and you have knowledge from seeing these players throughout the year but suddenly you you dip into Kwon versus Ivashka and you're thinking, okay, here we are. It's qualifier against qualifier. And we've got some bits and pieces. And, and then suddenly that might change to Dimitrov and Varinga, which is excellent for a first round Masters oh. match. And, and, and you want to get all the bits and pieces and, and the stories of what's going on, especially with, with Peter Polanski. Now, this was another one because initially you thought Gail Monfils should handle this with relative ease, which he ended up not doing. But Peter Polanski, the Canadian wildcard interviewer, has got this amazing story. It was, was it back in... 2006 or something in Mexico when he was at a challenger he effectively slept walked off a balcony off a third floor balcony and crashed down and actually landed on a shrub which he says saved his life because he didn't break any bones because he believed that he saw a knife wielding person at the edge of his bed and the only thought in Polanski's mind was to get away from the person who he believed to be wielding a knife so he ran and he remembers waking up running and he remembers the glass slicing through his legs as he falls off this back. I mean, it's absolutely incredible. He didn't break any bones, but he sliced his legs through the glass. They weren't sure if he'd ever walk again, let alone play tennis. And, and here he is in his 30s, wild-carded into the Rogers Cup. And it's, and it's a story that I told it last year because it, it's incredible. Tell it once a year. But it is it's absolutely amazing. Something like that in his past. And, and it's one of those stories I thought, a little bit like you. If this is going to be a quick match, I've got to tell the story. <laughs> then we're in a third set. I'm like, 
Do I tell it again? Just drop a little bit of it in <laughs> again. People may be joining yeah, us exactly. now yeah, a little yeah. bit later into it, but it's uh, no. The, the the first few days are they're crazy and they're great because there are so many stories and there is so much going on in in, in the Masters. The, the top eight you don't see the top eight for for a couple of days. But Dimitrov Vavrinka. Oh I mean, man, Dimitrov came in in the 50s, losing to Vavrinka in the live rankings. Gregor Dimitrov, former world number three, is down in the 70s Oof. in the world rankings. I know. How is that, how is that happening? How is that? I, d- I don't know. I mean, but it happens so, so often. I mean, just to pick up your, on your point about doing the, the qualifiers um, or some of the wild cards and that sort of thing, I, I think, you know, yes, definitely there are other sports you have to keep track of a, an awful lot of people. But, I mean, really, I mean, there's pretty much... 200 men and 200 women that we could be commentating on at, at yeah. any one time so to, to, to have a, an in-depth knowledge about 400 athletes is uh, is quite uh, yeah it, it's, it's quite extraordinary it's, you do get particularly early rounds of slams you get some of the qualifiers and particularly more in the men's there's a lot more movement in the rankings between 60 and 140 in the men's so you get a lot more different names I think than, than you do on the women's side but, but yeah it, you, you just kind of got to be ready and Lavashka <laughs> Kwan popped up and we thought okay let's Let's do this. <laughs> Let's. It, and, and look, it, it was a great match, and it was Avashka that would come through. But it's it's just knowing that you could. It, it's quite exciting knowing that you could dip it anywhere. And also at the moment with the doubles, the doubles is making such headlines. And in Washington, we had Kyrgios and Sitsipas, and mm. obviously the Andy Murray doubles story that continues in Montreal, linking back up with Feliciano Lopez. And he sort of said, "Look at Queens. It was Lopez that, that carried me. He said, I wasn't." playing very well at all and I, I thank him he said now <laughs> he said he said now I'm ready he said oh, okay I, I've, I sent him a text and and said it's okay you know I've played more I'm feeling a lot better and almost sort of apologies for Queens but I'm in a better place now so there's just a lot more focus and Grigor Dimitrov is is linking up with with Kena Shikori in the doubles so it's uh, I, I don't know it's, it's a very interesting thing about these events I mean yesterday Andre Rublev and and Sasha Zverev defeated Malte Pavic and, and Bruno Suarez and I was wondering and that I asked this to Barry Cowan yesterday, who said no. I don't know if you have a different view on this, but I was wondering if you're an established doubles pairing or established doubles player. So Bruno Suarez and Malte Pavic are doubles players. That is what pays the mortgage. That's what pays the bills. So they're beaten by a scratch pairing of Sasha Zverev and Ronda Rublev, who played loads together in the juniors, but they're now singles players. As a doubles player, as a Pavic or a Suarez, are you even more annoyed that you're beaten by two fellas who the chances are, if Sasha Zverev goes deep in Montreal, does he pull out of the doubles because he's focusing on his singles? And Barry Caron said, well, no, they should just be happy that these guys are playing and it's it's raising... um, the sport and people are talking about it a bit more but I'm not sure if I was a dedicated doubles player if I would just be a bit peeved well it depends yeah I suppose it it depends I I get what you mean um you know playing against because a lot of the time the singles players you know they have the attitude of I fancy a bit of dubs this week who's around they bag themselves another singles player and you know and off they go and I think yeah, it, it it is difficult because so many of the top guys are phenomenal players and the reason they aren't winning doubles Grand Slams is because they're not playing in doubles in Grand Slams that, and, and that, that is the harsh reality. Look, I'm not saying that the Bryans wouldn't have won Slams or that Marte and Pavic wouldn't have been number one in the world. Like It, it absolutely, you know, these doubles players are phenomenally good at what they do but it's 
you know, the big difference really is just the quality of delivery. So if the singles players are executing doubles play in terms of positioning and tactics and mixing things up, well, then it's very, very tough for the top doubles players because you can't really live with that because they just have more weight of shot. They've got better serves and returns. We know how key that is. Um, you know, so I, I, I don't think that you can get annoyed at it because they should just be happy that all of the top 20 singles players don't play every single week and actually <laughs> legitimately like used to in times gone by actually just play singles and doubles everywhere they go but then we've seen this change tournament director at washington made a concerted effort to draw in top singles players into doubles and there's various ways you can incentivize people you can get more people in and it, and it seems to be now that there is a little bit more focus and you get the feeling that more tournament directors might try and pull those top players especially over the best of three set format where it's doable I know Andy Murray's come out and said look I'd, I'd never do singles and, and doubles at Wimbledon because it, it, it's ridiculous you're playing best of five sets but it feels that more and more tournament directors are thinking well hang on a second because they want their event to be the best they want it to get attention you get Kyrgios and Sitsipas together Oof. You've got an awful lot of attention. Yeah. This was a tournament that had Coco Goff, who came through qualifying. There was so much focus on Washington. Nick Kyrgios wins the title. But I think they're also realising that if you can pull together these blockbuster pairings, it's again going to draw more attention to your tournament. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's about people knowing the players. And I do think that the ATP have done a really good job with the exposure for the ATP doubles players and and getting their names out there a bit more. And of course, they play alongside the top singles players at the O2, which is fantastic for them. And they get to play in front of huge crowds. Um, but yeah, nothing really helps their exposure, like playing against Kyrgios and Sitsipas. <laughs> you're going to get a massive crowd. You're going to potentially get a TV audience. I mean, it's like Andy Murray playing doubles. You know, I was covering it before. You're covering it this week on, on ATP Tennis Radio. That means you're also covering the guys he's playing against. And, you know, that that's all good for the doubles players. They want as much exposure as possible, but they would just like singles players to play occasionally I mean look the singles players as you mentioned with Murray they're always going to leave the Grand Slams on the whole aren't they I mean look Federer is not going to sign up for doubles at the US Open is he it's you know so it, at least we can say that the doubles players have got the Grand Slams <laughs> they can kind of <laughs> battle it out amongst themselves for apart from you know, the, there's the odd player here or there that's very competent at both I mean Lopez springs to mind but uh, but yeah on, on the whole they might have an easier time of it but yeah these 500s and Masters events are starting to get quite crowded on the doubles front and some of the lineups are extraordinary some of the doubles players are getting pushed out I've got a question for you. Oh. And I know you're going to have an opinion on this. Oh, good. This well, is... that's like every week. <laughs> when has that ever not been the case? I, just, I feel like you might have quite a strong opinion on this. I don't know. Let's see. So, Nick Kyrgios mm. is, is the, the subject. My of opinion this. on Nick. <laughs> no, no, that's too long. The, the question is, he asked on a handful of occasions, a member of the public, the audience, where he should serve. Yeah. Match point slash it turned out to be championship point. They gave him the instructions, he delivered, won the match, ended up winning the title. So a discussion then ensued, is it on-court coaching? Should he be fined, warned, admonished because it was on-court coaching? Sven Grunfeld, Darren Cahill, they've been talking about this on Twitter. Barry Cowan had a view, believing it is and believing that discussions will now be had as to whether that should be allowed to happen. Others saying, don't be ridiculous, it's, it's entertainment, what are you talking about? Was it on-court coaching or not? 
Well, again, we get, we're back to the, the coaching thing. It's quite a unique thing in tennis, isn't it? That that we explicitly, it says in the rules that coaching is not allowed during the match. You know, that's very, very rare. I can't really think of another sport where that actually happens. So it does raise more questions because, you know, if this was rugby... People are shouting stuff all the time, you know, or football, stick it in the net. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, look, a lot of the time it's very useful. Helpful. It's very useful, right? <laughs> but I mean, I've, I've had peop- people shout things at me and you can't help but, but, not, but hear them, but really. But to go and ask someone... And but why is that different? You- because so I, I, when I played my match on uh, yeah at Wimbledon, I was on centre court, and w- it was when I was playing Venus in the second set. I was starting to struggle; things were starting to unravel. She was the defending champion, and it, it, was, it was sliding downhill. And uh, yeah, I was just bouncing the ball before my serve, and I just brought my hands together about to serve, and somebody shouted so loudly, "Come on, make a first serve!" <laughs> you know. <laughs> But you know what? I wasn't even aware that my first serve percentage was low. He knew because he's got a different perspective. So I was like, ah, oh, it's a good idea. <laughs> I should probably try and make some safer serves now because you, sometimes you don't register some of the more obvious things. Look, it didn't save the match. It didn't change very much. Uh, and it's different. But, you know, if, if you can't go and ask somebody for help, can they just shout things at you? Could, could Nick say on Twitter before his match uh, and, and just say, do you know what, guys? I'm not allowed to ask you anymore because they've changed the rules. Just just chuck it at me. Just chuck all the tactics you want at me before every point and you just get the crowd really involved. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, look, what he did was completely harmless. Are you sitting on the fence on this? or are you? Cause I, I don't, no, I'm not at all. I, I don't think it was coaching. I, I think No, it's ridiculous. The person he, They're not a coach. The person he could have spoke to could have been taken there for the day, never watched tennis in their life, thoroughly enjoyed it, some fella goes up to her and says, where shall I serve? She goes over there in that corner. Mm-hmm. He does it, ends up winning the championship. I don't, but a lot of people are saying that it is because she is, he is, suggesting where this person should well, serve, <laughs> having been asked the question. No, I, I, I agree. With you. I it's think ridiculous. It's, I think it's completely right. And can you imagine a chair umpire who would have the gall, I was going to use another word there, but would have the gall to say that is... Coaching violation, Nick Kyrgios. I mean, that would that that would send us into a whole different world. I, that I would be hilarious. <laughs> you can't. It's. I think it's part of the entertainment. It's it's part of what makes him. It's part of the fun. I don't think like the underarm serve. I don't think it's going to catch on. I don't think we're going to see other players going up to. I think it's a very Kyrgios specific thing. I don't think it's going to become a thing, unless people start planting coaches or people yeah, around that can go up and speak that could be something but I mean do you actually think it will be something that will be taken seriously or discussed or are we just going to say that was curious that was fun and leave it at that no it won't be discussed at all I mean they've got far more important things to talk about at the moment than that I mean that is not for me it's not an encroachment on the rules it's not bending the rules it's not not anything it didn't you know he could have easily asked that advice and serve in a different direction like it's it's not i don't know it's not coaching they're not a coach it's it's not a big deal he did it on match point did he only do it on the match points it didn't really seem to do it the rest of the time and yeah it's, it's just a bit it's just a bit silly if you want to get uppity i'll say uppity (laughs) if you want to get uppity about 
on court coach or up-a-tea. about coaching. Get up tea. Up tea. Okay. Come on. Right. Yeah. Okay, we'll go with that. I don't know tea. why that one came out. I don't know why that one came I'll out. I'll tell you what, it's one of those things where, as I say, we had a long night session last night. I'm going to use, I'm going to end up accidentally using the word uppity like 17 times tonight now. Well, we've, both, we've both just come back from holiday. I think that's mm, the other thing. I know. Huh? Sort of, yeah. and, and you had your wedding, so you had a lot to sort of take your mind away from work and then suddenly to get back into work and, and they are long days. I feel that, I, well, I'm hoping this podcast makes sense. Oh, it'll be much better than the one we did at the end of Wimbledon, that's for sure. I don't but remember that one. No, it's all, I, I, it's I remember, a blur. I remember I staring at you. Yeah, I was going to say exactly it. the same thing. Just staring at you. But then we'd been sort of staring for so long that it suddenly became dark and we were outside. Then I couldn't see you. I just yeah. remember staring in the direction of your voice. And I thought, I can't actually see you anymore. <laughs> just sat there staring thinking is this going to end is well we're definitely finish? more alive than we were then that that's for sure uh, yes. but if you want to get uppity about oh, coaching still uppity yes right, from okay. the size like we got you've got to sort out just the, the ridiculous amounts of coaching that goes on all the time anyway I just I mean I, I think there is very rarely a match a professional match where there's not illegal encouragement slash coaching from Radek the side Stefanik of in the Dimitrov Vavrinka uh, match, which Vavrinka would win. At times, um, Stefanek looked like an air traffic controller. <laughs> the camera would go to him, and there's fingers pointing up yeah. and out and left and right. And I mean, it was the most confusing thing I've ever seen. I thought if I was Dimitrov looking over, I wouldn't know what he was doing. I mean, he looked mm-hmm. like he was sort of short circuiting because the fingers were going all over the place. <laughs> and at the end, when you, when you saw him, he was he was clutching his hands together as if to say, "I just can't let them go because they're going to start pointing in all sorts of directions." <laughs> <laughs> he just can't help himself. But that's the thing is that when you're passionate and competitive, you know, how how tough is it to not give advice to your charge as a, as a coach? I mean, look, it's your job to keep it under wraps. And I think it's particularly important with juniors to not allow anything out, to allow them to figure it out themselves, discuss it after the match, give them better tools next time they can improve. When they're older, you just want them to win the match. Dimitri's having a rotten year, as you said. I mean, just anything, anything to get him over the line. He just needs a win. It doesn't really matter how. It doesn't matter how horrendous it is. Just, just get a win. So you can understand why at the side of the court when you just think, there's just a simple fix here. Just just hit it over there. I thought, interestingly, um, his former coach, Danny Valverde, and I know they ended on good terms, was also not sitting with Radic Stepanek, was also in the crowd. And I've got another question for you. This comes Ooh. from a listener. I have to say this, since our last episode about drugs, the amount of people that have spoken to me about peeing is, is, is quite extraordinary. Yeah. Whether they're friends that don't really follow tennis and it's more the, oh, I've got children that sort of sit and stare at me while I'm on the toilet, or other people saying... Wow, Naomi and peeing, and I mean the amount of people that have spoken to me about you peeing. <laughs> well, thank you just, very much. Uh, just, I appreciate the it's feedback. Just, <laughs> it's just really so. If this is the first time you've listened to us, please listen to last week's because otherwise this will. Last week's was a good one, sense. I think. And also, uh, what I must say is that doping will come up. I keep the thing is what I realised uh, last week is that I keep calling it doping. I'm like, oh, I've got all these doping stories. What I mean is anti-doping stories. <laughs> <laughs> Not this time I was doping. Uh, that's what I mean. But we. We, 
refer to the anti-doping authorities just as doping so you say like oh doping turned up yeah like you know some people will say anti-doping but i mean it's just kind of just, yeah it's just it's slang so Taking. don't 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 panic everybody um but like i um <laughs> i have still have i have so many more stories that i didn't let's even do, get let's to let's do another let's do an, at some point let's do another but one. it'll come up again because somebody else is going to get caught at some point aren't get they done. yeah and then we'll, okay so we've got another batch of <laughs> we're nice and optimistic <laughs> here with the world of tennis we got, got another I mean, in the next year somebody will probably we've got another batch of Naomi peeing stories coming up in the future but if you want to hear about Jane who accompanied Naomi on her pre-driving test driving test test then uh, I mean that that was that was pretty special but no this question it's it's not about drugs it's from the swing volley Hello. wants to did say that she enjoyed the the peeing episode <laughs> just call it the, she didn't call it that <laughs> we, that should have been the title the peeing, <laughs> the peeing episode, episode. Oh dear. Um, question. Would love to know about the rules on freezing your ranking due to injury or illness. Because they go on to say, for example, Rublev, who got to the final in Hamburg and he's come back from that stress fracture, lower back stress fracture. Chung, I mean, feel so sorry for Chung, what he's mm. going through. Katie Bolter had not done so, even though fans knew about their injuries. And then Janko Tipsarevich, I mean, he's been through the ringer in terms of injuries, reappeared out of nowhere this year. And remember the story of him winning a couple of matches in Miami. So mm. a little bit confused, the swing volley, about why people do and don't freeze rankings. It's be- you, but you have to make the decision quickly. So you have to apply for a protected ranking um, and you have to be out for a minimum of six months. So you and, and basically you, it's six months from when you apply. So you can't wait. So you can't um, say get a wrist injury uh, and be rehabbing for four months and then say, actually, do you know what? I'm going to be out for another two months. So let's make it six months and I'll come back with a protected ranking. It's not how it works. You have to freeze it instantly. And it's from the right. day your protected ranking will be the ranking on the day that you froze it. The way you and you applied for it that week is the ranking that will be taken so if you wait for four months and your ranking falls to 90 then that's the one that will be frozen and it has to be a minimum of six months that you're out for so basically the, the reason they do that is that if you get a serious injury um like say del potro has had over the years he knows he will be out for six months with if, if you have to have surgery that that's what really what it's for it's you know that you are missing almost all of the season and that six months minimum you're not going to play and then basically you've you've had a massive surgery and or you know before you do the surgery you apply and you say there's no way i'm playing for six months you know like tip sarovich double hamstring surgery ooh, makes me wince every time but um he had that for i mean madness <laughs> but i mean he seems to have helped he's back he's playing right but he was never going to be back within a year so you, know, you instantly say this is what i'm having done i'm applying for the protected ranking and you know, minimum six months and then when you come back you have that ranking that so makes you sense? can't come back within the six months no so okay so if there's a player who has an injury and say there's a their home slam coming up and mm. they want to be fit for that even if they think they won't be if they think there's a chance they might be then they won't do it because then they're definitely ruled out does that make sense yeah exactly so you are out for six months you have declared that you are out for six months and you're protected ranking it's like declaring that you're retiring so that you don't get drugs tested anymore or whatever you have to make that statement and and, and that, but that means that then if you decide to come back then you, there's a sort of a period of time where you have to be allowed to be tested before you can come back there's, as I say you just have to be clear with what's going on so something like Katie Bolter for example she has some serious damage to her back at playing at the Fed Cup although oh heroics awesomeness Amazing. loved being there um 
but unfortunately she's paid the price so now I feel a little less happy about it but you know she hasn't played since but she didn't know that she wasn't going to play and it still hasn't been six months yet it's what it's been less than four four four-ish but she might still have a chance of playing the US Open so Um. why would she so firstly she has a couple of times tried to come back ish slightly questionable but she has been on the court practicing there have been videos she has been trying to get she was trying to get herself ready for Wimbledon because she didn't know how bad it was you know how bad was the the bad bad she went to the French Open went to the French Open was looking to play in the grass court events so she was withdrawing late so she clearly had no idea that she would be out for as long as she has been I mean she could potentially be out for six months but if you're out for six months but you didn't declare it originally you just lose your ranking it's just going to fall away Andre Rublev one's interesting therefore because a, a lower stress fracture of the back you've got to think that that is going to be a chunk of time away on the sidelines and it's interesting that he's spoken since saying it was and we hear this from players that it was a really tough time it, it feels it, it feels in the more senior players it's tough being away but when they've come back the Stan Wawrinka the Roger Federer Andy Murray's they say actually it probably wasn't a bad thing and it was a good thing and I got that that love reignited of the sport and what I love but the younger players probably understandably tougher because they're starting on that journey and things are looking so exciting then bang it comes to a halt and in Andre Rublev's case for a good month or so he couldn't do anything absolutely nothing so you're doing something every day and suddenly you're doing nothing. And he said he couldn't even watch the tennis. He couldn't watch his peers competing and winning and traveling and doing what he loves. And that must be it. So maybe there's, there's another reason thinking it's not as bad and keeping that hope. Because I imagine, again, if you suddenly say, right, here's a protected ranking, that's six months of, of inactivity in terms of, of playing on the tour and doing what you want to do. Yeah, and if there's any chance of you getting back after four months, you're going to prefer to come back after four months with a lower ranking than wait two months and come back with your protected ranking. Um, so, you know, there are some calculated risks. And the reason it's six months is because if a major injury happens and it requires surgery, like I say, the double hands, hamstring <gasps> surgery, um, or something that's happened to Del Potro or whatever it is. How do you if, not shudder at the Del Potro injuries? And then I know, but they're always, the yeah, but it, it's right. just something about operating on hamstrings. It's just, oh, I mean, it just seems worse than anything else I've ever really even heard of. I'm sure it's not, but I just, oh, I can't bear it. But yeah, I mean, the point of the rule is that if you have a horrendous injury, you tear your ACL or, or whatever it is, and you're told by a doctor you've got, you know, it's going to be six months, um, you know, minimum, then then you can freeze your ranking and then you can rehab properly because they don't want people to come back on injuries that are not healed properly. They don't want people to avoid having surgeries if that's what they really need. You know, they want all of you know, the players to be fit and healthy. But if you are an Andrescu who really messed up her shoulder during Indian Wells and Miami, well, if she had taken six months out then, she would have had to miss Toronto this week, which that would, that would suck because she's back and she's playing and she, maybe she's fit and healthy, who knows? freezing things um, our Twitter account Ooh. still seems to be frozen blocked suspended slash banned mm, destroyed um, if anyone is listening that maybe works for Twitter you could help me if you like because they still think we're underage <laughs> so I, I'm very close to maybe does starting does it still exist it's still there what Twitter um, no the, our account yes well if you search for it on Twitter it says it doesn't exist I'll tell you what another tactic is uh, wait oh, how wait what 12 years 
And it'll go back up and running in 12 years, won't it? Because you could be, have to be 13. 12 years. And we're one. So in 12 years' time, the Twitter account will be <laughs> brilliant. reactivated. <laughs> just going to wait for 12 years. I don't care, everybody. I, well, that, maybe just, that's, let's leave that as last resort, shall we? <laughs> waiting 12 years. Let's just forget about it. Um, so I've, I've sort of run out of ideas of how it's still, it, I can still see it. But then it says you are mm. suspended, you are underage. Um, so if anyone can help with, with unblocking us on Twitter, that'd be lovely. If not, I'm going to sort things out and set up a new account to do some bits and pieces. Something else I saw this week that, that made me laugh, and, and I imagine if I was in the same situation, I'd probably do the same thing. And I wouldn't, if I went to Italy and held a press conference, which I obviously wouldn't be doing, and they asked me a question, I would sort of smile and mumble something and, and probably wouldn't be the same as the question. But it was on social media this week, Camilla Georgie, had a great run in Washington. Now, Georgie's, Georgie makes me laugh because she always seems a little bit sort of grumpy. She's not happy. But she, the power she can generate, I mean, she's, I love watching her play, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of her. But she, there was a, a question in the Washington press conference and it said, it seems like this week with all the attention on Coco Goff, you slipped aside winning round by round. Has it bothered you that you're not the focus of attention? The Italian answers, yes, it's about practice. I think it's very nice weather here. I like very much the city. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, that's the art of deflection. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't like your question. I will, so answer, I will say smile. whatever I want. And you must say, have had that from people before who just, they don't like your question and they're just going to say, they're going to they're say whatever they want. I remember there was, there was an interview I did years ago with Claude McAlealy, who's now actually returned in a, in a development role at Chelsea Football Club, but this is when he was playing. And I had to do an in-depth interview, so it was about half an hour with Claude McAlealy. And because I, I, can, I can understand a bit of French, if, if there were words that weren't quite in English, I sort of knew what they were. And I got, But when you get into a conversation with someone, you sort of get lost in it. So I'm getting lost in this interview, asking questions. And at the end, I was like, wow, you know, that, that was great. What, what an insight, what a brilliant interview. <laughs> we listened to it back and it just made no sense. It was almost like I said, how is your day-to-day and he would answer, oh, I had an omelette for breakfast. I mean, it was, it was along those lines of, <laughs> of nothing making sense. But at the time, for some reason, I, and I think because he was sort of doing a bit of franglais in there, I thought it made perfect sense. I was like, wow, what a great insight to life for Claude <laughs> McAuley. And then when we listened to it back, it was a little bit like that question answer for about 30 minutes. And I was just like, wow, okay, that's... that's a and then none of it's usable. It's a little bit different. <laughs> I think we used little bits of it, but it was different than I expected. But I, I don't know, maybe you've played in some far flung places and I don't know whether you had to do press conferences but whether there was a time when when someone a local journalist asked a question that maybe you didn't quite understand and and you know what do you do in that situation because you know I can I can smile about that but I'd be terrified if I was in a press conference and I didn't speak the language and I was you know it wasn't my first language it would be quite difficult oh it's so hard I mean I could imagine I don't speak any languages at all apart from English <laughs> which I, I do alright but I, I couldn't imagine trying to do it in another language I mean let alone some of the, the players that do multiple languages through their press conferences it's just it's just ludicrous isn't it and they get asked the same questions in each language as well but um, yeah I don't know I, I think it's genius from uh, Georgie Did you, was that deliberate though or was that well I don't know I mean, but she just was there like a late translation or something. It's like that game where you answer the question from before. It wasn't as though it was. It wasn't as though it was a bad question. It was just a standard question, isn't it? Quite a a sensible question, though. Coco Goff was obviously getting all the headlines. She'd she'd gone through qualifying, come through, and and she's you know the 
teen sensation and there's old Camilla Georgie just sort of battling her way through and popping up in the final saying hi everybody and no one's really it wasn't the story in Washington on the WTA side but I, I, maybe you're right I hadn't thought about that maybe she understood it perfectly well yeah. and decided to say oh I love the weather and I really like the city yeah, because as a journalist where, do you follow it up with oh what do you like about the city or do you try again to find out I'll never try again if they don't want to answer it they're not going to answer it I, I think <laughs> never ever try again uh, I enjoy it when they I mean maybe with politicians you can try a couple of times but, <laughs> but um, yeah, not with Camilla just Georgie. an athlete right it's just Camilla but um, yeah I just think it, it's I like um, I just like that idea that because it is frustrating sometimes I, tennis is suffering from a little bit of ugh, I don't know the players just being a little too bland and over media trained with their responses I mean after every match it's just you know no one ever says anything that's actually that interesting but do you believe in media training that it should happen yeah, but it's or not. Or do you believe they should just be let? Yeah, but it's different. They shouldn't more. be trained like politicians because that's the thing is they're trained to deflect questions and do this and do that. Like you don't need to be trained to do that if you're an athlete. You don't want to answer something. Don't answer it. You don't. It doesn't matter. You just say I don't want to answer it. It's fine. But I think that they, you know, players should be trained in terms of I call it training, but it's more just educated in terms of what the media's about, what they're looking for, how it works and that and how to get the best out of themselves and how to be their best self in terms of what is interesting. You know, you can have somebody who does media training like yourself, you're very experienced. You know, you could you say to a player, you just have a chat with them, find out what's interesting about them. You know, you come at it from a media perspective and you can say, Oh, they'll be really interested in that. You know, oh you love food or you love this and oh this happened to you, you know, build on that and, and help them find the kind of the, the things to really latch on to because I mean I mean I mean that's one thing, but also like I mean after a match I mean my word, yeah. I mean it's it's just like it, it it's just like yeah, she played great and you know I just got the win today you're not telling me anything I know you won I just sat here for three hours and watched you play the match it's just I know she played well like that is the mo- it's, it's the most basic level as a commentator you can't get away with that you cannot sit there and go you know wrapping up a match and say well she played well but she managed to cross the line like the there's noth- it's nothingness, isn't it? Maybe they just want to get it done. You well, know, no, I know they seen, do. We've seen times with well, with Serena and Venus Williams uh, are good examples. If if they want it, if they want it done, they want a short, sharp press conference. It will be it will be very short, sharp answers. Yes, yeah. no. She played well. I thought she was good. But I just sometimes you, the journalists are just like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> but sometimes they they're so set in their ways of their stock answers that I don't think they even realise how ludicrous what they're saying is. Now, a good friend of mine, and I know you know her well as well, Andrea Lavachkova, um, You know, absolutely, she is an awesome person. I'm sure she won't mind me saying this, but she lost to Serena. Um, at Wimbledon one year and it was love and one it was an absolute demolition Serena was being 100% Serena match match was done she goes into a flash interview as she just walks straight off the court you know they go into the little little booth around the corner and they, and they do that interview straight off the bat and you know the answer is something like wow okay great performance Serena you know what did, what did you make of it and she just <laughs> She just said, oh, well, Andrea is just such a fantastic player. She played a phenomenal match. This was like 40 minutes, literally 40 <laughs> minutes. She was like, it's always a challenge I out there against match. her. It was, it, it was the amount match. of spiel that came out of Serena's mouth. And it's just like, come, even Andrea's going, 
that was not good. Yeah, some, sometimes <laughs> I think they think they're doing a good thing. They're, it's like in a, in a winner's speech. Yeah. Normally the first thing you do in a winner's speech is you turn around and say, well, I'd, I'd like to, like, it's Nick Curse, I'd like, Daniel Medvedev, sure. and you, great week, played well. And you, and you do, yeah, but so I like it's, that, it's, it's fine, they've made the final, but, well it, but it's almost as though I think players and, and, and Serena Williams does it a lot, will come out and say, oh, well, she was amazing and she was great. They probably think it's it's the right thing to do because you're saying nice things about your Yeah, opponent. but why can't you say that, you know, Andrea's a really tough player. I was expecting a tough match, you know, but for whatever reason, she wasn't able to play her best today. I played really well. Because maybe they're why so Why can't you say that? But that isn't that a compliment? But, but can you imagine someone turning that into... And, that, and why would they want to? But uh, Serena Williams dismisses... Andre Hlavatchikova, or uh, it, it almost seems maybe there's they don't want. No, but that's to give. not dismissive. That's even better. That's basically that for me, like just amongst players. You know, if you beat somebody comfortably and then you go back to the locker room and people are like, "Wow, okay," I mean, oh my god, you just beat her like two in love, like, like she's the top seed or whatever it is. You know, it's so common to hear people turn around and be like, "Yeah, but she didn't play great." And like, but that's that's for me. That's showing a lot of respect. That's showing. I tell you what. Next time we play, it's not going to be so straightforward. But, it's, but and it's also it's it's truthful. It's an analysis of the situation. And, it, and as I say, that is almost bigging her up, being like, you know what? She didn't have a great day because we all have that. And, and it, do you know what? I'm maybe being a bit harsh on Andrea because it wasn't that she played badly. She just played Serena being Serena. That's <laughs> this is the way it goes sometimes. But so you as a player, just, if you'd been on the end of that. And Serena Williams had said, oh, you know, amazing. Would you have been almost a little bit insulted because you'd have been, actually, I wasn't at my best and I didn't play great and I could have played better. And she's just sort of wax lyrical no, I about how... I wouldn't be insulted. It's just it's so you, far away from the truth. Would you be a little bit not, annoyed because it's almost as though she's not into... And we're just using her as an, as an example here. But you'd, that she was being quite dismissive of you and she probably hadn't really thought about you at all. I just don't see it as... I, I, I don't think it's insulting for her to say that, oh, you know, she played fantastic. She's such a great competitor. It's, it's not, so tough to play against true. her. I mean, it literally was a walk in the park. But if it's not true, isn't it it's sort of a bit of an insult? It's almost though she hadn't... And again, we're just using Serena Williams as a name as an example. But I would almost take it as in... I just, I, yeah. I think that it is more respectful to give it a fair assessment, and also, like, I don't understand what the issue is. Like, and this is where you know, I mean, of course, Kyrgios comes in on one extreme, but you know, what's the issue with kind of just ribbing people a little bit? Like, you know, we've been watching the Ashes the past few days, and I mean, you know, it's 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 fine. I mean, like, was it? Um, when uh, Lion Lion came in for the Aussies after he did well, he batted well. It was on the you know first day or whatever, and they said, "Oh, well, how are you feeling walking out to bat?" And he was like, "Well, I'm all, I always feel nervous because I can't bat. And I just can't." <laughs> but the thing is, is like he says that, but also all of the other players would say that. Everybody in England, everybody in Australia, they just know it. it's like I couldn't volley, literally couldn't volley. But it's like and everybody would know. But what's wrong with what's wrong with somebody saying, "Well, you know what? I don't know how she managed it today. She volleyed really well because normally they're terrible." But I guess what's it's wrong it's, with that. Stanford Rinker at Queens, when we were asking for messages to be Andy Murray's partner at Wimbledon before he announced Pierre Hugubert, we said, "Look, can you look to Cameron and say why you'd be a great partner?" And we had people do it. Varinka looked and said, "Andy, don't pick me. I'm not very good on grass." Yeah, which was very <laughs> funny. But in if I don't know if if the person who's playing. Well, why can't Andy say that? Why can't Andy say I'm not playing with Stan? Have you seen him play on grass? You, why he, is that not he, funny? He could probably get away with it with a smile, but in terms of if someone played Vavrinka and maybe Vavrinka beat him, for that player maybe then to say, I can't believe I lost to him, he's not very good on grass, that's not gonna come across very well, is it? Or beats Vavrinka and goes, Well, it was straightforward because he's not very good at grass. That doesn't feel that respectful, even if the player himself had said, I'm not very good on this surface. 
yeah, it doesn't feel for me. There are different done thing. There are different ways to be respectful. Andy Murray could say it with a laugh and a joke about playing doubles together, but I think it's I. But then I. but then I, I don't like it when players come in and say they've cleaned the floor with someone. They go, oh, they're amazing. They played so well. It was so tough today. And you're like, I know. Huh? It's, it's, I mean, because it's just, it's just so far from the truth. It's just not true. I mean, Serena probably was going to go out and practice more after that. Like, that is just the, the, the way that it is. And look, you know, Andrea is not the first person to get rolled over like that by Serena. And, and she won't be the last. But it, it's just... Um, yeah as I say I just think that sometimes there's just so kind of they have to tick all of the boxes and it you know I mean even like the um the Kerber thing when she played against Andrescu and at the net she said and I know this was probably her agent that put out the tweet but at the end of the match she called her a drama queen and then right after the match it was congratulations to Andrescu you're such a fighter it was great being out on court with you I mean it was probably her agent firing that off and as we, and we see that called her out and Nick Kyrgios called her out but rightly so because it's about half an hour after you've just called her a drama queen so you're not like do you know what I mean it's not I, I don't know I feel like it, it's become very tick boxy and it's it's just slightly irritates me that's all I just think it it I'd like you know just a little bit more honesty and I don't think like look Kyrgios has said all kinds of things about Sitspass over the past few months and now they're playing together doubles together and Sitspass is like this guy's great and there was but a- there's nothing wrong with just taking the mick out of somebody once in a while like it's as I say I think it's respectful you know and there was a nice shot of Kyrgios Medvedev and Sitspass and we know that Sitspass and Medvedev have had their issues in the past on court just getting on a on a private plane together all sort of arms linked and looking like they were getting on very nicely so it's it's good and you know what I, I have to go because I know you're you not you start earlier than well, us. I, I start in 15 minutes <laughs> um, so I, I haven't even really checked in yet so I've got to go and say I am actually here um, scheduling I was going to wait oh, oh, right, do you yeah. think we'll do it <laughs> so, Christmas you, special <laughs> <laughs> when so, there is no schedule so, <laughs> we'll talk about scheduling so, keep it relevant we've got we've got we've got a couple of specials coming up we've got peeing part two and we've got scheduling mm. to look forward to and if anyone out there knows how we can get hold of twitter and try and get our account back up and running because we're not underage then then please let us know and any more questions like the question from swing volley because um, that was really interesting about rankings then um Naomi and i have got our respective twitter accounts we are above the age limit <laughs> we're legal and we're allowed um, to get in touch with us. And next week, we are going to be together in Cincinnati. Hey. Looking forward to that. Go so on a roller coaster. Enjoy the thunderstorms. Now, look, I've got a lot of work to do because we don't have rain. So don't keep texting me if it's raining in Toronto. <laughs> okay, just let me do some work. Okay, don't keep texting me. Is it raining aboard? Got no tennis. I don't want that. Okay. Fine. Right. But I'll leave you. Do you know what? I won't, I won't speak to you again. Oh, fine. All right then. <laughs> Until next week in Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs>